0: Nuku 68 is Te Ao She started with the Kahaote Rangatahi Indigenous Youth Hub at age 18, filing paperwork and helping in the office. Today, 12 years later, she has just been made the organisation's CEO. Her mahi is to support rangatahi navigate their way to becoming their own champions of positive change. In this episode, we talk about Te Ao's career journey, from her role as a rangatahi sexual health peer support worker to a stint as general manager, she shares with us her views on leadership and how her own experience of personal neglect, burnout, and life-changing final events led her to re-evaluate her ōrangatanga, in turn changing her leadership style to better influence work-life balance within her organisation. We also talk about her village of empowering Indigenous women and her involvement in Hip Hop International NZ. Whakarongo mai. Kia ora, am kia ne. Nuku is a movement. We're empowering indigenous wahine to be agents of change, cultivating opportunities to shape the world we want. Through this series, we're meeting 100 kick-ass indigenous wahine doing things differently. They show us how the world can be shaped by our unique indigenous voice. It's all about who we are and not who we've been told to be. Nuku, mahine, mohine, Kiahine. Kia ora koutou, welcome back to another episode of Nuku. Uh, today we're back in the Nuku Fare. so normally we're in other people's fare and we get to um, go and explore their places and spaces and today we're back in the Nuku Fare for an interview with the beautiful Te Kappa. Te koe. How has your day, week, month been so far?
1: Um, it's, what, two more days and I've been... It's been a whole month in my new role, so that's been very interesting. Um, my lifestyle at the moment, it's very hectic, full <laughs> of meetings and full of, yeah, changes, good changes though. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think we're just moving into a new direction and it's exciting, so yeah.
0: We're going to talk about your exciting new role and the journey it took you to get there because I'm I'm in awe that you were even... Uh, that the journey has been the length it has been <laughs> and you've stuck with it. Um, but as we always do, we start off with a little bit about who you are and where you're from. So can you share with us a bit about your whakapapa and
1: your upbringing? Ka um, Well, Wow, ki te tōku papa uh, no Te pōri ki, ki te kao. Ki tōku mama no um, wai ki Whangaruru, no Te Aitanga ki Uawa, no Ngāti purai hoki. Um, Yeah, born and bred in Manurewa, still (laughs) living in Manurewa. Um, I'm the youngest of four uh, and yeah, so with mum and dad. And I think just growing up, I've always been surrounded by my whanau. And yeah, just seeing or being the youngest and being able to see how my siblings have lived their lives and just learning from them. I think they were my first kind of examples of role models, obviously my parents as well.
0: But Were they role
1: modelling what to do or what not to do? A bit of both. <laughs> I was like, oh, I won't do that, but oh, that looks fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, because between myself and the eldest, there's five years, so we're all quite close in age. Uh, and yeah, from Kohanga reo, we were always together and then we would all shift. So we would all go to the same primary. So we went to Papakura South School and then had an op- My mum changed jobs and then we all went to Tehuringa, which is um, in Manurewa. And then from there, both well, my, elder, my older siblings, all three of them started at Tekuramaureonga Tapuai. And I was the only one that started there at year seven. So the rest of them started at year nine. And my mum didn't want me to go to tutoring by myself. So <laughs> <laughs> I started um, at, yeah, Te to Māori Ongatapa at, at Year 7. Uh, and that was the first time we went to school outside of Manurewa. So that's when we, I guess, came into Māngere and uh, met, well, yeah, I guess from that point too, from Year 7 to Year 13, I met some of my, I guess, lifelong friends and still really good mates where they're pretty much like whānau now and, yeah, just seeing or experiencing that and, yeah, going through high school and...
0: At that, like that age, so, you know, your siblings,
1: as you said, you guys are all quite
0: close in age. That was a hectic five years for your parents, I have yes. to say.
1: full-on.
0: Um, <laughs> but you're all quite close in age and... Um, which means you sort of get to see the pathway that the one before you has mm. taken, whether they've gone on to mahi or university yes. or, or something different. As the baby, um, what did you see from your siblings in terms of leaving school mm. and which parts of each of them did you
1: want to follow? Yeah. Uh, so with with my oldest brother, so obviously when I started, it was his last year of high school and he was always very like the loving... Older sibling, mm. though, very much so, like very protective, but in a loving way. Um, and I always took that from him. Um, and to, I guess, see everybody um, in a, a positive light, because he was always like that very friendly person, always had mates over our house, like his mates. And some of them had no no, or um, some of his mates were boarding. So their whānau lived outside mm. of Auckland. So we would have like it was almost like a halfway home at points and my parents were always really good Um and yeah, just having them over and that was a reflection of him and how welcoming he is or he was in terms of, yeah, just allowing them to be in a safe space and my parents are really good with that too. So, I took that from him and I'm like, okay, cool. If I was to create friendships and I guess um, networks, that's the approach that I would take. In terms of my sister, she's very fiery, um, (laughs) but still my best friend. Like she was my best friend. And I felt sorry for her because I don't think I was her best friend, (laughs) (laughs) but she was mine. Um, And she had to take me everywhere. So she was like literally like my protector. Uh, She would like, if I was trying to sneak out or whatever, she would be like, don't do that because like she never, she never done that. She was very open with my parents and stuff like that. So yeah, with parties and all of that kind of stuff happening, she would just be like, no, you need to be up front. Like, just, you know, tell mom and dad and then I'll pick you up or I'll mm. drop you off. So yeah, those were some of the things that she taught me in terms of that, but she was always real hardworking. So like with um, her and her best friends, they were like my older sister's, because um, they were all close in age and they would really look after me too. So, um, yeah, I think I was like very sheltered and very protected. Uh, and then my my brother that's a couple of years you know, older than me... Um, we're very, we're a very polar opposites. So I fight all the time. He was like, and I tell him this too. I was like, you're like my bully, like the only bully I had in my life, and that was you. Um, but he taught me, I guess, to be strong and to stand up for myself too, in terms, in times when I needed to do that. So yeah, I think I took a lot of, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of the good things, but yeah. also the the trialing things that they went through. Um, and my sister as well. She also went to uni, so that kind of like was the driving point for me too. Plus, like my for my parents as well. So, yeah.
0: What did you What did you want to be when you were in high school? So you know, when you grew up, when I grew what up. What did you think you were going to go off and
1: do? I always wanted to be a photographer. Oh wow! Yeah. I don't know why, but it just intrigued me. And because my mum, she never was a photographer, but she was always a person that would take like photos of everything, like her and one of my other aunties. So we've got like a really good archive of when we were growing up and that was very like inspiring to me. And like the images that she would catch or capture were just always beautiful and it like really captured a moment in time that we really enjoyed or that showed us as a whanau. So yeah, from there, I think I've always wanted to be a photographer. And then I did, yeah. And and I did nothing about it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a hope and a dream. So what did you eventually study? I studied, um, I did a year, I did a certificate in communications at AUT for a year. And then I decided to do Māori development at AUT. Yeah. Yeah, and I graduated with that. The only one thing I liked about comms was digital media. So I enjoyed, like, creating things, yeah, on platforms and whatnot. Your mahi at the moment,
0: hang on, let's set the scene first. How old are you?
1: I am 18. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, 18. Last year, no? 18, but 18 was when you started with this organisation. Yes. So you are currently the CEO of Te Kahau Te Rangatahi Indigenous Youth Hub,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and CEO is a huge title. So those are those are three very big letters. Yes, um, to go before your name or after your after. name. <laughs> so you're the CEO there, and if we're not going to talk about how old you are, we'll just say you started when you were 18, and you've been there for 19 years. So people can add that up. <laughs> But you're still a baby in in that um, sense of things. So with this mahi, with Te Kahau Te Rangatahi, you have been there for a significant chunk of your life. Mm. It has been essentially your whole working career has been in this space. Were you working there while you were studying? Yes. And what was the initial attraction to Te Kahau Te Rangatahi?
1: If I'm being honest, I just needed mahi and my mum was working there. And um, they they had a massive shift in terms of their management team. And they had, at the time she was general manager, she was only newly appointed. And everything that was happening at the time, they needed some sort of administrator. Um, and that was my role at the time was just to help my mum Um, with everything that they needed in terms of filing. So it was like literally like started from the bottom, Mm. Um, learning how to file, learning how to make labels, learning how to box (laughs) things. So it was all of that like real simple things. But that's when, yeah, I was first introduced to the organisation. It was based in a building called Afitia, um, which is in... Middlemore, or was opposite Middlemore, but it's busted down now. It's made into a car park. So oh, yeah. yeah. So it was on. Wow. I guess if you're facing north, sad. it was on the left. Yeah. And that was the name. That was the name that a lot of um, people, organisations, or providers would associate te kao to. Like they would not. They would not more um, in terms of Afritia than te Tangata. Hmm. Yeah. So it was sad. Because at that time was the.
0: Was the focus of Tika Hoa working with rangatahi in schools around sexual health? Because that's yes. actually when I first yeah. heard about them years ago. Yes, yeah. Like, so long ago that mm. they, um, I think it might have been Tika Hoa came into my school. Yeah. And had some youth workers come to, you know, yeah. talk about sexual health yes. with rangatahi. yeah. So was that one of your first... Well, I mean, your first yeah. role was learning how to label and print and, yes. and do office management four, four type years. things. <laughs> but did you then transition into and being you, a youth yeah,
1: worker? Yeah, yes. So they were called peer educators at the time. So uh Te, Te Rangatai was established in 1990, so all the way back then. Um, and the f- only two contracts they had was around mama and pipi, uh, but for teen pregnancies or teen parents, mm. And then not long after that, oh, sorry, in 92, they got the sexual health contract, which is the peer education. And that was when they would go into schools, community groups, alternative educations, and I guess educate around sexual health. So after I finished uni, I had the opportunity of moving into a full-time role, which was a peer educator. So then I had to learn everything about sexual health. And then, yeah, then I was out and about in terms of delivering. What did you see in that time? Because
0: sexual health is, um, especially when you're talking to high school students, it's, you know, it's not an easy topic to teach. No, and, it, no it isn't. And there's lo- there are lots of jokes in the classroom at the time yes. that you're in there. Yeah. But what did you actually see and experience and maybe even learn about yourself
1: mm.
0: in being a peer educator around that topic?
1: Yeah, um, when I think about it or when I think back to it, it was like we never got it either. Not a lot of it. And it wasn't like an open dialogue or wasn't a topic of conversation, sexual mm-hmm. health. It was, you know, very much considered taboo. Um, and that's a conversation that you would have at home or, you know, with your parents. And I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> no, it's still I'm not no, happening. Must, happening. Must, <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> uh, so it really opened my eyes up to seeing that massive gap between, um, I guess, a rangatahi growing up and understanding their bodies and understanding what's happening and their hormones and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and how much we didn't know, and we just always assumed that you would only get pregnant if you didn't have a condom or if you weren't on any contraception. Mm. You didn't know about what was in contraception, or you didn't know what you know what your preferences were, or what a healthy relationship was, or what an unhealthy relationship was. So, yeah, it just opened my eyes up to learning way more about who I am as a person, because everyone always assumes like sexual health is just like in terms of the act. But it's so much more than that. It's about your identity. It's about, like, sexual orientation. It's about acceptance. Like, it's a lot of things. So, um, I guess, being a part of that environment in terms of sexual health and... The um, providers that you meet, or the like, in terms of networking, was huge, and I think it made me made us, especially in the office, because it was like, okay, if we're gonna have this conversation, you have to make sure you create a safe space, mm. and you gotta make sure that the I'm gonna trust you enough to be open enough in terms of learning about your being and not the doing, because like that's the assumption. And that that is so true because the, you know,
0: um. <clears throat> 18. Um, (laughs) Yes, we are. (laughs) But when I think back to what I learnt about sexual health Mm. before there was a peer educator in the classroom. So, you know, you go to school and maybe when you're an intermediate, they teach you how to put a pad in your undies and, you know, like just Mm. these really basic but kind of icky things to talk about because it's very... um, the word abrupt comes to mind, but it's it's kind of just like, here, and they kind of slap open this thing yeah. and put it in, and this is how you do this, and this is a period, and okay, cool. But they don't actually teach you about how your body functions, about mm. fertility. Yes. About, so they teach you how not to get pregnant, That's but it. they don't teach you about what a normal cycle is, yes. or not normal, because yeah. half of us don't have a normal well, what a cycle so, is, yeah. you know? And don't teach you about... Um, as you say, the other things that are associated Mm. with the doing. Yeah. (laughs) Intimacy, aspect, the safety. Is this the right person? Am I in a good relationship? Is it healthy? Is
1: it,
0: you know, they kind of go, don't get pregnant, don't get an STD, here's how you put a pad in, Mm. and uh, (coughs) kia ora. Yeah, that's it. Um, And that was then. Yes. Has that... Because I mean, you've you've been in this space yes. now for a, a while and long enough to see whether or not it has transitioned. Mm. Has it transitioned? Has it become any better?
1: Um, if I'm being honest, from what I've seen, not so much like it's still in a space of like, okay, cool, now we have nurses in schools, like mm-hmm. that's more common. But even then, our rangatahi aren't wanting to have those conversations with the nurse because it's like, the nurse don't know me. The nurse doesn't know um, who I am. And a lot of the times it, they either come off like quite judgmental because these are the, the conversations that we would have with our rangatahi. Mm. So um, I think what, like the biggest gap is, yes, yeah, within the school system or it's a school curriculum because now they're wanting it to go back to teachers educating the students in terms of sexual health, like that's their role, that's a part of their role, but I'm like, there's organisations like ourselves that have the ability to you know, open up the, a space for them to have these conversations and I think we're in a good place right now because a lot of our kura kaupapa were weren't really keen so to say, to have I guess uh, us come in and educate um, their rangatahi, whereas now they're more open to doing that, and and then obviously those kura, the principals, or tell their tell other kura around the around the country um, on what we're able to provide. But it just sucks that we're only, I guess we can only stay within Tamaki because mm. that's where that's our contractual obligation. So in terms of, um, yeah, with sexual health and schools and how that's going, I feel like it's still very similar. Like some go a little bit more in explaining about, you know, all of the other things that are attached to sexual health, but it's still the same thing. It's still like everything to do with, this is how you put a pad on, they don't actually still don't explain about a male's reproductive system either and how that works. You know, it's just like oh, like it's just mainly for the girls because you know girls get their periods. So yeah, there's no real. The under- ones who get pregnant. Yeah, so, so yeah. it's all just for them. It's all just focus yeah, on, them. on. But it's just like no, like let's educate the young, you know, those that identify Mm. as male um, around what both the female and the male reproductive system. So there's that, then there's puberty and understanding puberty. So um, yeah, there's just like a, still a bit of a gap. Like we're trying to close the gap, but then like the gap gets bigger. Mm -hmm. And... I am um, teaching males about
0: female reproducti- reproductive systems is so important because I had to teach my husband mm. about periods when we first got <laughs> together and we were like 17 and 18. Yeah. And I was, I literally drew him a diagram yeah. of a uterus and fallopian tubes yeah. and ovaries yeah. because he didn't understand what a period was. Yeah. And like, this is a 17 year old teaching yeah. an 18 year old boy what <laughs> this is. I'm like, you should know these things. You need to know. But I mean it's it's that kind of it's it's that kind of stuff that I um am thankful we have organizations like Te, Te Rangatahi to have at least a um a familiar face yeah. to have those kōrero with yes. our Rangatahi. Yeah. A familiar upbringing. Gosh, motorbikes in my neighborhood. <laughs> um, <laughs> so noisy interrupting our podcast kōrero. Um <laughs> To have, yeah, like a, a similar upbringing, similar experiences that we can share. And yeah, that's important. And very. when we look at the broader scope of what the organisation mm-hmm. does, it really is about that, isn't it? Yeah. It's, you know, you've you've managed to move um, beyond mm-hmm. sexual health, yeah. peer mentoring, peer... Yeah. Peer education, education. <laughs> mentoring, just same, same word, caught it all. And there are, you know, there's there's a far no order space mm. that's in there as well. And when I think about your roles in this space, and think about how you started, you know, stamping envelopes, <laughs> and then moved into working with our rangatahi, and then you moved into um, becoming the general manager, yeah. which um, is a huge role in itself and now you're a month into becoming the CEO. Mm. When you look at the needs of our rangatahi, Mm. when you look at the capabilities of an organisation like yours, because I can say it's yours, um, like yours, and then your own lived experiences, Mm. what are you hoping to achieve in your
1: role as CEO for our rangatahi? Yeah, that's a huge question. I say that because it's not that I'm like new to the to the organization but moving into this role has kind of really opened my eyes up to what is the expectations of a CEO and what mm. um I guess what I'm having to do so it's like at the end of it at the end or and be all of everything it's me that has to mm. make a decision and I need to make sure that it's in a good way, I, I guess in terms of everything that I'm doing, it has to be, if I want to take a risk, it has to be for the benefit of our rangatahi and their whānau. Mm. So never, anytime that I think about our rangatahi, it's always and their whānau because they're not just them. You know, you're not just an individual person. Or well, that's not how I see them. Um, and the, their whānau can be whoever they identify their whānau to be. So I think for myself, I want us to get to a place where we're wholeheartedly doing what is right and needed for Arangate and their whanau. And, what, and then get it to a place of us being so well-established that we can franchise because this is something that is needed as in our organisation or this, our hub, is something that's needed right across the motu, mm. not just for tamaki. again we... If I'm being honest, we specifically work with Tamaki Kiti so South Auckland. That's our main, uh, I guess, niche. Yeah.
0: And what do rangatahi get out of it at the moment? Mm. Because, yep, they still get sexual health health education. Yes. Um, but what else are they getting out of participating mm. with the Te rangatahi? Yeah. Indigenous
1: Youth Hub. So at the moment we're. I made a massive shift last year in terms of the organization. COVID hit, we all knew that, but a lot of it taught, uh, for me I was like, shucks, we really need to adapt ourselves and we need to start working in this new norm. So I had to do like a massive restructure in terms of the organization because mm-hmm. we're still working in terms of like contractual obligations. So I like, okay, we'll hire somebody and then that somebody will only work on that contract and that's it. But then we're trying to blur the lines and, oh, but you can do a little bit of this part and then a little bit of this part. And it was creating some confusion in terms of like internally with workforce. So I was like, if we're going to work in this new norm, we have to restructure us as an organisation so that everybody has an understanding of where we're going and where Mm -hmm. we're heading. And that was when I was in my general manager role. So from that point, I was like, let's stop working on how contracts and funders are wanting us to work and let it fit to us as kaimahi or us in terms of the roles that we have. So it pretty much just put us in a position of everybody is a kaimahi. So everyone will somewhat learn what we're able to do as an organisation and we'll put leads in places and then give our kaimahi an opportunity. So, You know what our rangatahi need and you also know what they want. Create an initiative or a wānanga that contributes to what's needed and wanted. And so is that around their overall health and wellbeing Mm.
0: in a number of different areas? So it's not just specifically looking at um, getting them off the streets. And when I say getting them off the streets, I don't mean they're homeless, Mm. but I mean after school, what are they doing, yes. you know? Yeah. So giving them initiatives to keep them or help them remain occupied yeah. or a sense of community or a sense of leadership within yeah, the community. exactly. As well as the, you know, mental health, yeah. physical health, sexual health yeah. side of things as yes. well.
1: Yeah, so for us, yeah, for myself, I knew that that's what was needed. And then to make sure, obviously there was a digital strategy right across because lockdowns yeah and because lockdowns happen and then that's I guess the biggest vehicle for our young people at the moment is social media is digital platforms so uh yeah I think with the shift and the changes it also empowered our kaimahi they weren't it didn't feel like well obviously through performance appraisals and conversations and corridor, they felt more empowered like some of the responsibilities were on them and they had creative freedom mm. to create something that they knew that was needed for their rangatai that they were working with.
0: What sort of success stories, these motorbikes are really annoying me. It's probably my own whanau. <laughs> they don't listen to nakusa, so it should be all right. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, what sort of success stories have you seen mm. with rangatahi because our rangatahi are our future mm. a lot of them are a lot of them are doing really well yes and a lot of them are in those marginalized spaces yes. they are disenfranchised they are disconnected mm. they are you know lots of these statistics yes. that we talk about how have you seen or do you have an example of transformational change that you've seen mm. through the
1: organisation? I think um, for myself, see, cause we always rate it off of doing them, you know, being in a really bad place, you know, all of that mm. kind of stuff or disconnected. And then them being like, oh my gosh, they're amazing. And they've changed this and they've done this within the community and they're impacting the whole world. Like that's, I guess, the scale that we see things happen. Whereas for me, within the organisation, uh, when I first started in in terms of whanau order, there was like a bit of a gap because that's when we first started getting individual clients or rangatahi. And um, when they were doing completing their goals and aspirations, a lot of them had things around like leadership. Like they wanted to be a, a leader within their school or within their, um, what do you call it? Like cultural group, all of those mm. things. So I was like, between myself and a, Mahi, we decided to create a leadership programme. And from there, it was a mixture of students or rangatahi from different schools, so different backgrounds. So you had some that were even, some were Māori and some weren't. Uh, and that gave them an opportunity to kind of see what peers are doing outside of their normal mates or, you know, um, or their nor- or their Fano. So from there too, that's kind of where I saw a massive shift happen. Some of them were like, obviously really clever and they wanted to do so many, you know, all of these huge things, um, but they just didn't have the confidence mm. to do it. And so from them being a part of Tangi 2 leadership, that's what it's called, it's still going now, um, they were able to do co-designing with um, CMDHB, with County Manakot Digital Health. From there, they... Done a youth-led wellness for social media campaign. And yeah, they did really well. Then they had an the opportunity to go to Oahu or Hawaii to talk about at a to a symposium, an Indigenous symposium, to talk about their Mahi. Wow. Uh, then they won an award for um for Australia Pacific. Uh, health organisations for their mahi. And from there, a lot of them had excelled in school as well, even though they were struggling with life, mm. I would say. And a lot of them being disconnected to whakapapa, to Fano. So they were still doing all of these amazing things, but I knew... And they would then say, like they were still struggling with these certain parts within their life, even though their lives were showing us, like, you know, they were traveling overseas Mm -hmm. and they were doing these massive things. Yet they were still able to, I guess, excel in other spaces. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of like that. And then from there, um, the same Lord who had the opportunity to be a keynote speaker at the Healing Our Spirits Worldwide Conference in Australia. Then we met... um, I, they're called Native Wellness and they're from America. And yeah, and then they had opportunity to go to Portland, Oregon, to be a part of a, a youth wellness camp where they only invite those that identify or have a papa to um, obviously a tribe in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, they've... In terms of success, that looks huge. Uh, But they've, yeah, from there, they've managed to, I guess, wanting to do things in their own communities. Like, wow, we've managed to travel and we've done all these big things, um, which is a huge success for them and their whanau. But what can we do? Now that we've learned quite a lot,
0: mm. yeah. and what can we take
1: from these experiences, yes. and from
0: how other indigenous cultures yeah. around the world are doing it, and bring it home, bring it home. and bring it to our peers, yeah. and what a great, a, what a great training ground for leadership, mm. because it's not just, um, I guess, the leadership as in being at the front mm. or being at the head, but it's yeah. learning and participating and experiencing, and then bringing that back yeah. to create, yeah. you know create some really amazing initiatives. As we talk about leadership, I think about your journey with leadership and that you have been put into leadership roles your entire life, Mm. which interests me because you're the baby.
1: Yeah,
0: And it's not common for the baby to be put into or groomed for leadership roles. It's often
1: the eldest child. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know why, but yeah, I think maybe my personality when I was younger I was, yeah. must, have, must have been like quite out there. <laughs> but yeah, since I was young. And so what, I mean, aside from the, the
0: mahi that you do, because mm-hmm. that's only one part of you, it's yes. not your identity. Yes. What other
1: areas have you had leadership roles in? Mm, um, so what other areas? I think that the other one that kind of comes to mind recently would be um, I do the event managing for the Hip Hop International competitions in New Zealand. Yeah. So I've been doing that ever since, what oh, was it, like 20, 2015, 16? Yep. So traveling overseas with those that qualified to compete at the World Hip Hop Championships. Uh Can you at dance? No, I don't. But everyone assumes <laughs> that I'm a dancer, like... Well, because, you know, world you, hip-hop, you just yeah, kind of... you just kind of link it that way. <laughs> Wait, but do you try to dance? Um, I can dance at social events. Oh, yeah, like when it's really dark? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah cool. Some like cool lights kind of, going yeah. off, yeah. And everyone's a little bit blurry-eyed yeah. anyway. and then and they're like, know, whoa, cool. you can really dance. I'm like, oh...
0: <laughs> Wow, so you've been able to travel with some of Altero's greatest yeah. teams. So does that include, obviously, Periscope was our, our greatest hip-hop yes, export. Yeah. So does that include her her crews? Yeah. And then obviously we have more, but mm. that's probably the most well-known name. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, look at, like, see, that's hard mahi in itself, eh? Mm. And what she's been able to do. And yeah, so ever since t- 2010, like, I've been involved in hip-hop. Well, street dance, yeah, street dance in um, in Aotearoa. And then more also went into like the management or the back office side of the competition, yeah.
0: And that's not easy because when you have multiple teams who have multiple team members... Traveling internationally, yeah, and we have to look after everyone. To look after,
1: yeah. Yeah. In terms of making sure that their leaders or their managers are okay and they know what's happening and they're they're sure, Mm. and like in terms of safety because we're we're going to America, you know. So it's like it's like (laughs) you got to make sure that everyone's got visas and everybody checks out. Because you have to have a certain kind of visa that's applied for so many days in advance.
0: I know those. Yeah, um, and so we're talking about leadership and um, all the great things that come with it, I guess, and the and the travel mm. and the titles and the mahi yeah. and, you know, it's sometimes the paycheck and, you know, <laughs> all these really great things that come with being a leader. But being a leader also comes with a lot of pressure and it comes with a lot of stress mm. and it comes with a lot of putting yourself second, third, fourth, fifth. And it doesn't always um, support our own Orangatanga. Mm. and when we're looking at how, um, particularly in where you're, you know, particularly for you trying to help rangatahi to become w- well in yes. their overall entirety, yeah, health and wellness. How has that affected you and your leadership roles? Because I know that there's been some great moments. But there's also been some moments where you're like, "Hang on, mm. this isn't going so well for me, and I need to yeah. check myself." Yeah. What
1: have some of those moments been? I think, like you're saying, like from 18, I've been working in this organisation, uh, and I think from that point too, you still you still don't know who you who you are. I don't think you ever get to know, like, because you know you're always wanting to be a different version of yourself all the yeah. time or an excelled version. Uh, yeah, so I think at that point, it was just a lot of like finding who who I, who I am. But then on the flip to that, like you're saying, like uh, we work in a community-based organization and we work for people. So a lot of the time it's like you empty your tank or you give all of yourself to other people and then you forget to fill up your mm. own tank. And uh, that was like massive. And I think it was like 20... 2017, like a massive, massive thing happened with an know, and I don't want to cry. But um, yeah, it was like so massive that I realised that oh, you know, this is like a turning point for us, mm-hmm. or for myself. Um, And I think for, from that, it kind of still was going like down, down, down. Where it was like the end of 2018 that I was like, I decided to resign. Um, and Pretty much to just work on myself because I was just like done. In terms of mahi and in terms of just anything really, like yeah, it just was. Was it your
0: <laughs> your physical health? All of it and your mental health. Yeah, your,
1: like my sure, whole body, like my yeah. whole body was just I guess had crumbled. And um, I think just during those times too, I was like super grateful for my family because they became like my po. Um, and then it was the whole of. 2019 that I kind of had off and I was just doing contracting. So still contracting back to the organisation, but it was just all on my own terms. Mm. I worked from home uh, and it was just, yeah, smaller things in terms of what I could give my energy to just to rebuild myself. But yeah, it took me a while to get to a point of me realising that. But I had to, it's just... Yeah, it sucks that it had to be something so massive for us as a whānau for me to realise like, oh my gosh, like I haven't been looking after myself. Mm. Um, and I just, yeah, continuously poured into to others instead of myself. Um, and then, yeah, from that point, so like 2019, I had the opportunity to come back and that's when I was offered the general manager role. But when I knew when I came back that I was different. And that I needed to make sure that I put myself first in terms of anything.
0: And it's not easy Mm. to put yourself first. No. Especially when you work in organisations that are very co-papa driven, that are very community focused, Mm. that are about the outcomes for our rangatahi, that as you say, you pour into others, but it's expected of you because that's what that role is. It is about building and growing others. Mm. Before we kind of talk about that transition, I just wanted to touch on this, the period of you um, realising and understanding Mm. that your whare was crumbling. Yeah. And when we reference whare, we're talking about our whare tapafa in terms of our our health and well being, And... Did you, did you have an inkling, um, aside from this mm. whānau event yes. that happened, did you have an inkling that things were starting to go downhill for you, or not downhill? Yeah, yeah but no, but yeah, maybe get, getting a little yes. bit harder and tireder, and and you weren't quite catching up.
1: Yeah, with your house? If I'm being honest, no. Mm. Like, no, I didn't. Uh, and maybe because I was being super like oblivious to it or naive that it was happening. And it, it's not until it happened and then when I was obviously working on myself that I realized like, oh my gosh, like it happened, like this happened. Like I just switched it off. Like I didn't take any notice to that person saying something about me or was doing something towards me or I didn't notice that I was doing that to somebody else or in terms of like looking after myself, I didn't realize that I didn't have something to eat today or, you know, all of those things like, yeah. Or I didn't have a karakia today or I didn't really listen when we had karakia at Mahi and yeah, just all of those things I started to notice. Or, or it was like, oh, I'm overly doing it, you know, like I'm trying to catch up with everybody and I'm trying to do everything for everyone else because I don't wanna, I guess, take it on. And look at myself and, oh, are you actually looking after yourself? Or are you doing this for you? Are you doing this for them? And yeah, are you doing it to please other people? Yeah. And that's not just you. Mm.
0: That's a a wahine trait. (laughs) You know, you you take on everything Mm. and you try and see everyone and please everyone.
1: Yeah.
0: And... For some people, you also try and do all of that so that you don't have quiet time to actually look at yourself. Yeah. If you're constantly consumed with everybody else. Yeah.
1: Constantly busy. You
0: don't have to open your eyes to your own reality. Yeah. 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 What what was one of the most surprising things for you
1: in that time? Um, I think the biggest thing, the most surprising thing for me was... It was more also like how much I had stopped like um, opening up to my, my when I say Fano, it's like my siblings mm. and my parents. So I kind of like my Fano before that point were like my friends and my husband at the time and you know, more of that or church. Whereas like when that happened, uh, it made me really like close close myself off to everybody except them. Mm. And I realised at that point that, that they're all I need. Like if anything happens or if anything was, you know, massive and it did happen, um, they were my biggest support system. So regardless of what happened or who else, and because I forgot about that. Like I've totally like, I kind of just parked them on the side for a long time. And yeah, I just, I guess, pulled myself or, you know, wanted to be accepted by so many other people where they're, that, that they're my people, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And if
0: we're talking about the fuddy crumbling, yeah, the fuddy has to have a strong
1: foundation. Yeah. And that, exactly.
0: And if you forget that the foundation's there, what's the they going to stand on? on, Yeah. How did you, what are some of the tools that you used to reconnect back in with yourself Mm -hmm. and to rebalance your water? And and when I say that, we can, we never really rebalance our like. (laughs) We do the best (laughs) that we can. (laughs) (laughs) It's never really balanced. But... Um, what, what kind of tools and steps did you take mm. that maybe others who might be experiencing something similar yeah. can think about for themselves around rebuilding some of that and, and rediscovering and yeah. reconnecting and taking some time. And, yeah. and so you did, like, I mean, one of the things you've already said is that you resigned from work. Yes. And so you literally like
1: gave bolted. yourself some time yeah. <laughs> and took yeah. some of the stress triggers away. Yes. What, what else? Yeah, I think that was the biggest thing for me because mm. like growing up and everyone having so many expect like I had a lot, even though I was the youngest. And because like a lot of the time too, my, my, my siblings wouldn't go with what my parents mm. would say or do or suggest, whereas I would. I'm like, okay then, I'll do it. And so from there too, like my parents, and you know, as parents, um, and I don't think there were bad expectations either. So, from that point, too, I just would take that on board. And I think I took that into my adult life. And just in terms of people's expectations over me, like, oh, she'll do it. She always does it. She does it really well. Mm. Oh, she'll do it, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And it was like a repeat, uh, a repetitive thing. Whereas then for me, I was like, I felt like I was never doing enough or doing it well enough, even though people would say it to me it would never kind of like sink in for me. So I think from there, I needed to to resign to be able to be like, no, I need to have an expectation of myself because I don't have any. So I let everybody put theirs on me. Mm. So I was like kind of trying to take back ownership of like what I have ownership of and to let go of what anybody else owns. Um, the other thing I did physically was I was more vulnerable and open because like at home or in my own space, in my own, you know, room, like I'm bawling and I'm crying and all of that. Walk out the door and I'm like, hey, nothing, (laughs) like nothing's happened. Like new person. Like, hello, like um, nothing's wrong with me. And I was really good at that, like really good at hiding, masking, like how I was actually feeling. And then... Yeah, what I needed to do for that was my mum, at the time, the organisation for Hapu Mama, they were, they had access to kairomi-romi or kairomi-miri. And she was just like, and plus one of my aunties was like a eye as well. So she was like, let's go, let's go and see them. You know, and I was just like, if anything, that was like, like you're talking about like the foundation, of your whare is not only your fano but the fenua that it sits on and for me my fenua is like my haka papa. And for me if I was if I needed to rebuild, I needed to reconnect mm. with my own fenua. Um, and that was a way to do that. So I had my first Romi Romi me. my <laughs> goodness. <laughs> It's an experience. Uh, Yep. I was hit by a bus, but I came alive, Mm. so to say. And at the time when I got it, because I was like, I guess in my lowest point, I kind of had enough. I was like, oh, I'm tired. I'm done. And so mum was like, no, like, you know, today we're going to do this. I was like, okay then. And so after, I just felt like I was a whole new person. Uh, My hair was like so long, it was like to my bum. And I was like had a bath because they were like, go have a bath. They spoke to me through things that I needed to do. And then after I was like, come on, mum. She was like, where are we going? And I was like, I'm going to go cut my hair off. And she was like, no, like don't do it. And I was like, no, like it just, uh, for me, that's like a physical representation of where I was at and what I'm wanting to do. Mm. And like a biggest thing for me is like in terms of the mana that, you know, your hair or your tēnana has I was just like, if this is like what I want to do and I want to live, then this is a part of that journey. So she was just like, oh. So yeah, we ended up going to the head, and then even the hairdresser's like, are you sure? And I'm like, cut it now or else <laughs> I'm gonna cut, <laughs> cut it myself. Before, <laughs> cut it before I grab the scissors off Cut you. it now, and then it was just like by <laughs> inches. So yeah, and that was like what I needed to do physically to, I guess, get me into a place of yeah being well again. Mm. And then from that point, I was just like, oh, I was like, uh, one of my like best mates, she was just like, you need to learn how to say no because I'm a very much a yes person. Like, yeah, okay. Even though I've got a million things going on. Yeah, okay. Mm. Um, she was like, you need to learn how to say no or tell them how it is. And so like, yeah, then I started, you know, getting into that and realising what was good for me and what wasn't. And yeah, it took me a while, but got there. Mm. And so like that's kind of the the culture that I'm trying to I guess show within the organization now is, you know with the team was like, man, if we're really going to pour so much or give so much of ourselves to our community, we gotta make sure that we're looking after ourselves.
0: And that's powerful corridor from a CEO. Mm. It's powerful corridor to say Um, it's not so much about, I mean, productivity is one thing Mm. and achieving what we need to achieve as an organisation is one thing, but ensuring that our staff are well and healthy so they can achieve and they can be productive and and those that we're feeding into, um, you know, can also reap the benefits from us all being healthy Mm -hmm. and well is huge. And it's um, really great in a way that you have had the experience you've had, so you can use that to change Mm. the culture within any organisation, not just this organisation, but any organisation that you go into at at this particular level. You do have that um, ability to really help people refocus on what's important at Mahi and how to do the work, but also ensure that you're caring for yourself.
1: Mm. Yeah yeah, it's huge for it's, yeah, like you're saying, that's definitely something that I want to maintain within the organization mm. is to make sure that everybody is healthy and well within their own body. whatever that whatever their body looks like and however they feel they want to build it, as long as they communicate that to me, I'm pie. Mm. And I guess to see the fruition of everything that everyone's now producing is crazy. like it's it's just so. Positive to be in a space that our kaimahi can feel like they're they're empowered, they're flourishing, they're growing, uh, and that they have some sort of I guess role mm-hmm. in the organisation that they can be inspired by.
0: And I guess just for anyone who maybe doesn't um, understand the concept of the f-, you know mm. the fadi in terms of high yes, we talk about our Taha wairua, so our spiritual health and wellness. Ao taha whānau, mm. so what's healthy and well for our, our family and our well-being mm. and our, I guess our foundation in that sense. Yeah. Um taha tīnana, so that's our physical health and whether that's exercising or whether that's yes. cutting off your hair, yeah. those are physical things. Yes, um, And your taha hinengaro, mm. which is our mental health and wellness. Yeah. And that is something that all of those things are interconnected. Yeah. And when one of those things is off, they're all off. Yeah. And if one of those things is well, well, it can only help strengthen the others. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah, I just, I, I think it's great to see and hear mm-hmm. your journey yeah. through that. Because, again, it's not easy. No. And it's not quick. Yeah.
1: No, exactly. It's like, that was 2017 and we're in 2021 now. Mm. Yeah. But it's important
0: to focus yeah. on those spaces yeah, for, for us. Sure. Um, we've talked a little bit about your sister and your mum through this corridor. Um, mm. Who are, or who is... Aside from them, because yes. I know that they have inspired you and they're yes. part of your journey. Who else is an Indigenous wahine that has inspired you on your journey?
1: On my journey specifically? ah oh man. Like, looking back and, like, t- literally from when I was in Kohanga, it was always wahine. Mm. There was always an element of, you know, matua, matua, But at the forefront of everything was wahine. And even in terms of my kohanga, my my mum and my nan created the kohanga with my mum and her best friends because they all uh-huh. had children, and so they started the kohanga. And there was an our nan there was there was Nanny Pani, and so she was like I think she made it to like a hundred and. Something, honestly, she was amazing. And like, I still have those memories. Mm. And at the time, too, our main kayako was Fire Donna, still to this day in the same kohanga. Wow. Yeah. I know, and I'm just like, oh, we got some some stamina. <laughs> <laughs> Long-lasting. Now, yeah, so, like, from there, she was, like, my first ever kaiako. Like, outside of my whanau, like we're talking mm-hmm. about, she was my first ever kaiako. So, and that's, at that time, that was an indigenous wahine that I looked up to or that helped me in my journey. Then when I think about moving into Te Huringa, I had a teacher there and her name was Fire Mariah. And then she was yet another person. And when I think about her, it's because she was so ngawari. Mm. Like, you can't really say that about teachers. <laughs> Not in a mean way, but you know, they're quite like either enthusiastic or like quite forward. But she was so ngawari and the way that she would do things with us and mm. the way that she would teach us. And yeah, she was somebody that I looked up to in terms of growing up. And then when I think about my the kura that I was going to, and at the time, or still now, I think she's the principal of the kura, was a wahine. And oh, then, yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, Ma Sterling, I think she was like Mai at the time, though, for us.
0: And she, and she took that role, you know, her mother yeah. was the Tumuaki. And,
1: and she then, was one of our teachers, yeah, like, and I she think, was. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that, that was like another way of like seeing how manawahine work, I guess. And then from there though, but there was a teacher there, Makaehe. And she was like, I guess the the flip to the rest of the teachers because I think a lot of the teachers were either brought up together. And so she was like quite like, because she was our English teacher and then that was the first time I kind of learned
0: English.
1: Because, <laughs> you know, growing up, total immersion, and then we're like, what's English? <laughs> now, yeah, so she was our, like our English teacher. And mm-hmm. so like even getting to experience somebody different from like um, our, what normal teacher, or whatever normal is, but what teachers are or who they were. And then she was our English teacher. And because that was the first time we would go to different classes. Yeah. Because, you know, from primary... You stick with your same, you just, kayak and or. that's it. Yeah, and so like then getting to meet her, and so that was like another wahine that I. But then during high school though, I started. I stopped looking like outward in terms of like somebody like a fire or an auntie, and I started looking across. Mm. And my mates, like if I'm being really honest, like my mates were freaking amazing, like so empowering, um, and. Yeah, they were just, we were always, we we're, well, we were to, I was talking to one of our mates who was a couple of years younger, and he was telling us, like, oh, you were the rebels <laughs> like back, in, back in school. And we we're like, what? And then it's not until we talk to each other and we talk about how we were at school because I think we were just quite forward. We were real independent and we were, we knew what we wanted. And I didn't know if that really flied. <laughs> But, I mean, it,
0: it has built you or, yeah. or built you to yeah. who you are today, which brings me to my part. Um, What is it to be an Indigenous wahine
1: today? Yeah. What is it? Ah, oh, if I'm being honest, it's just being wholeheartedly you and not being ashamed of that. Mm. Because in so many spaces, we're like second best, sometimes third because of the colour of our skin. You know, so it's just like in so many spaces we're told not to, you know, like, you know, almost like mm. hushed. Uh, but now seeing the way that Indigenous women hold themselves in spaces and all create their own because, you know, there, there's no space for us in other places. So they create their own. Um, and it's been, you know, more in terms of like innovative And I think women, especially indigenous wahine, are very innovative, are very like, I just always get like fired up and inspired (laughs) anytime I think about um, what the wahine around me are doing. And it's just, yeah, it just, it empowers me to do better Mm. always. Uh, And yeah, I just think that, yeah, that's the biggest thing for me is just to be all of you and not to mask it. And I think that's what I learned as well. It's just like, nah, like no more trying to hide if I'm not okay over here or if I'm not all right over there or to be okay with saying like, yeah, there was times where I was in a really bad place and because of this and this and this and this is how I kind of got myself out of it. But yeah, uh, because being around young people and seeing, you know, that they look after you for these reasons, it's like, no, well, I'm still... I'm still this and I'm still struggling with this and I'm still trying to find my path. So, Mm. yeah.
0: The last partai is one that I ask all of our wahine Mm. and um, (laughs) thinking about asking you this partai, you're actually probably one of the very few people who also has some direct control Mm. over Uh, the... Whether the the answer to the apartheid is comes to fruition, Mm. and that is what is your hope for the future of indigenous women. And the reason why I say that is because you're directly working with our rangatahi right now you have the ability to shape and mould them. I mean, we yes, all do. Yeah. Yes, we all do. But, but you specifically, therapy, yeah. you're in a job. that, yeah, that, <laughs> that does that, it. That does that. Yeah. And so um, with that experience and with all the experience you've had with mm. them over the years, what is your hope for the future of Indigenous women?
1: My hope for the future of Indigenous women is to realise like, their power mm. and to realise that there are safe spaces for them and that if they feel like they don't have it, then to, cre- to create it themselves. And what that might look like, I'm not wholeheartedly sure. But working with young people or young wahine every day and having that connection with them every day and to impart in them, I just hope that they feel that, that they feel like Te Kau Te or specifically me, that I'm a safe space that they can grow, develop mm. and prosper. Because if I'm not, then I need to work on that and figure out why so that I can become, I guess, better versions or a better, better version of myself. But that would be my biggest thing is because this world is so crazy and the, you know spaces are taken up too often where it then becomes unsafe for them. And yeah, I say that not just for our... Young Wahine though, but for our rangatahi in general. Mm. Mm. Um, I just want to thank you for
0: the for the and for coming to um, the Nuku We haven't done an interview in, in the Nuku for a long time. And uh <clears throat> with my cousins all riding their motorbikes <laughs> and my nephews riding their motorbikes Love up and down it. the road, we may not be doing an interview here for a little <laughs> longer. <laughs> yes. um, so apologies if that was no. whole through this corridor. Um but, but it's it's been a it's been a nice um journey mm-hmm. to go through mm-hmm. with you. Yes. And congratulations on your new role. Thank I know you. it is still very fresh yes. for you and really excited to see um, the mahi that mm. you'll be doing and, and really excited to witness um, the balance mm. that you will be creating and uh, showing your staff <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: um,
0: moving forward. So
1: tēnā ah oh, Tēnā